talking to Faye and she was like she was like you like to sing or something like that and I was like what do you I was like when have you heard me sing she's like you like to sing on the podcast and I was like have Jesus you sung Christ. that we much have. on the podcast that's ridiculous this is not about singing this it's, is never about singing it's getting weird it's getting weird but okay. we're back yeah we we're back um and we're here for a very special double feature this is our second double feature and I think it's going mm. to be, kind of become an institution in our mm. vanity project. A foundation um, even. Sure. Sure. Um, and, uh, we, are have watched two Chloe Sevigny or should I say Chloe? I don't know how you say her name with the, <laughs> with the <laughs> accent. Is it an umlaut? Yeah, it's an umlaut. Um, I think it's. You can say, um, I know what an umlaut is. You didn't have to censor yourself from I wanted to be shy. I, I don't know. Oh um, my god. Uh, yeah, so we watched two Chloe Sevigny films, and um, one of which I've been trying to get Charles to watch for months, for months. And he said, "Oh, the trailer was so boring. Like it looked so dry." And and then the second that you finished watching it, you said. That was superb. Yeah. You said it was really that was brilliant. amazing. It's like fucking trust me, dude. Told you so. Yeah. Yeah. Big told you so moment. And that was um The Last Days of Disco, nineteen ninety-eight. Brilliant movie. It's in the Criterion Collection. Um and the other film, mm-hmm. if you'd like to introduce it. Sure. Um the other film is um the infamous Brown Bunny. Um and it's starring Vincent Gallo, written and directed by Vincent Gallo. That's his name, right? Mm-hmm. And Chloe Sevigny is the um, lead on it, like by his side and um, or un- like underneath him. I don't know <laughs> um, where do we situate her. And um, and this film is, you know, highly contested. Was very controversial when it came out. I didn't know anything about it. Laura joked about um, us watching this film, I think, with no intention of actually watching the film. And then once I discovered the kind of fanfare about the film, I thought, no, we actually have to watch this and and put the two films side by side because I think, um, mm. yeah, part of our approach to this double feature is to situate two films that are, you know, incredibly different. But what kind of things do they show us about um, the actress and and – um, and her, you know, creative choices as an artist. And I think Chloe Sevigny is someone who's had a very illustrious um, and frankly bizarre acting career. And I'm like quite fascinated with um, her creative choices and the films that she decides to do. Did you know, I, I saw in an interview um, that she actually turned down being in Orange is the New Black. Um, she's good, good on her. That would have been so <laughs> trashy. Right. But what kind of character do you think she would play in Orange is the New Black? 
Like she'd slink around, she'd have no dialogue, um, and she'd give a lot of like glaring looks. Um, I don't think as much as she loves to like play a transgender role, a lesbian <laughs> role, or like even like the girlfriend of a transgender and or lesbian person, um, she wouldn't be LGBTQ in Orange is the New Black. I don't think she right, would. Right. Yeah. Unless yeah. Unless, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, she is particularly close with Natasha Leone, so I don't know. Yeah, this is where I heard it was them in conversation. This is where I heard that she turned down that role. Um, so, yeah, we, we watched both of the films and we were kind of like circulating uh, on the ideas of Puritanism and Laura had mm. a long time well, ago. This is- yeah, I had brought this up with you a long time ago and said I need to, like, make a manifesto on it or really think about it. Um, but I I just, you know, made a bold, grand, sweeping, generalizing kind of statement that couldn't be followed up by anything about the way that we live in a puritanical society. Yes. I think that the foundations of the way that we think and interact with each other is, is puritan in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's demonstrated through the kind of moralizing or um, I, the ideals of that, the, the dogma is especially evident through um, Chloe Sevigny's really intelligent mm-hmm. um, and thoughtful um, kind of choices that she makes um, as an artist and the projects that she kind of works on. So I thought that that was a really thing for you to suggest that in conversation with a Chloe Sevigny double feature. What do you remember the first movie um, that you saw her in? Well, yeah, actually, that's a really great place to start because I remember um, watching, uh, like, I say watching, but really like glancing over at the TV while my mum was watching Big Love back when it was airing, mm. um, the mm. HBO series where um, Chloe Sevigny, I think it was one of her like largest roles and I think she won a like golden globe for her role as Nikki um I remember watching it as a child and not really understanding the story but thinking that it was like such an interesting show um and and for some reason finding it very glamorous like I thought it was very similar Mm -hmm. to like Desperate Housewives like I really wanted to watch the show with my mom but she didn't really encourage me because it was really about Mm -hmm. obviously like fundamentalist polygamist Mormons in Salt Lake City and you know Nikki is a sister wife and she kind of plays the most I don't know the most fundamentalist of them all she's like the daughter of the I don't know cult leader of this more extreme polygamist (laughs) community that lives outside of Salt Lake City and she plays this really wonderful like um matronly like stifled (laughs) sex fiend polygamous sister wife and she's like very conniving and jealous and um calculated and she's you know crewing insane amounts of debt and not telling her husband like it's so incredibly genius and that was probably my first experience of Chloe Sevigny I would say mm, mm. I was um def- I, kids the movie kids by Harmony Korean mm-hmm. have you seen that film? no I've never seen it no oh my god so that's like I think that was her kind of like you know, big screen debut. Right. Um, 
and that's the one where she um she plays like a 16 year old girl she like has sex for the first time they're like going to raves she's trying to track this guy down again um because she goes with her friends um you know she kind of like very gingerly puts her hand up to say oh i'll go get tested with you like for like you know random stis and whatever and then finds out that the only guy she's only had sex with one guy gave her hiv she's hiv positive and the whole film is like her trying to track him down and you just see him work his way through like younger and younger girls um and they're all kids um and how about um, the what how old was she when she acted in the film mm, i don't know let's see because she looks really young yeah i mean wow what an interesting role that is I'll have to watch it. So that it. was 1995. Oh, it's by Larry Clark, not Harm. It's written by Harmony Korn, sorry. Um, she was 21. Mm, she was 21, I see. She also, um, I think, had quite an interesting similar role in Gummo. I haven't seen the film, but I read up about it. She plays, like, this teenage girl um, who is, like, the older sister of the main the lead and um she's apparently you know being kind of groomed by this older man in the film and i don't know i think i think chloe with with her work is trying to trying to show us something about puritanism and and i think (laughs) think so and about womanhood and its kind of relationship with it um but also when you were talking about big love i kind of get the idea of like decadence as well and how um decadence um, works alongside or um, perhaps like in a paradox with Puritanism, um, decadence in um, in sex or in debt and whatever, and that mm. kind of sense of decay or recklessness yeah. about yeah. kind of like womanhood or contemporary sure. kind of like ways of living. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, really. So why don't we first um, – by the way, I'm thinking that we've already said the word like so many times we're gonna need to bleep it like oh yeah but you'll just have to guess which word we're talking about because we're gonna bleep it out um so it's an adjective oh just kidding (laughs) (laughs) um let's talk about a movie (laughs) movie. um oh my god you're silly so talk to me about the last days of disco okay i loved the last days of disco i actually watched it because i saw that um jennifer beals had a role in it and then once Mm. i found out that it was like in the criterion collection and um chloe seven was the lead i don't know why jennifer beals is even billed so high but it's um she's in like two scenes right She's in actually two scenes. And she's just, um, like, got the most, like, pathetic character. Like, they yeah, don't even totally. give her... Yeah, it's, like, humiliating. They don't even give her, like, anything to work with. It's, like, your character is going to be sad because you were a beard. Like, that's her whole character. You know what I mean? Okay, so the premise of the film is that <laughs> yeah, it's let's... set in the late night. Let's get into that in a moment. Let me introduce the movie. Okay. It's set in New York City in the late 1980s in the disco scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and these two young recent college grads, um, Kate Beckinsale and Chloe Sevigny, mm-hmm. are um, kind of like penetrating what they feel is, what they feel is culture, what they feel is subculture and subversive and um, a trying to reason with or understand what they're trying to you know social climb or get out of life um and um 
So they arrive at the at the disco that we're meant to assume is Studio Fifty Four, which is on its very last legs. Um, as, as there's like yuppies and advertisers and marketing bros trying to come into the club. Yes. So we see Jennifer Beals run out following following Des, the club promoter, the like gross pathetic club promoter, and she's crying pathetically over this guy. Yes, yeah, she's blubbering. That, She's blubbering. She's hysterical because he's just said that, you know, we have to break up. I think I might be gay. Love. And then I love when Kate Beckinsale says to him, you are not fit to lick the boots of my real gay friends. She said, you're a pathetic pretender. And then he kind of goes and... and, um, waxes lyrical on about how um you know when he's when he's confronted by breasts by a woman's breasts which he can appreciate aesthetically you know the beautiful feminine charm of Uh. um (laughs) he he said you know why why could why is it not enough to um appreciate and be seduced by a larger kind of higher more transcendental sense of womanhood and why why should anyone stoop to exposing their breasts as an act of seduction um, which I think is very Puritan of him. But um, it's, it's like, really about gentrification and it's really about, like, the like market crash of the late 80s. And I think the way this story is told and the way the city is framed in this completely, like, frigid, febrile, uh, impotent and pathetic kind of way is really beautiful and felt deeply kind of, like, reflexive of my relationship with... Sydney as like a young professional, someone seeking culture and, Mm -hmm. you know, finding our way. I don't know. What did you think of it in relation to maybe like how you feel about Paris and what that looks like? Yeah, I don't know. Because I live in this like jeune cadre académique area, which is basically the like French equivalent for yuppie. And um, I feel that it's like... I don't know when you talk about like studio 54 and this era in New York city, there's such a kind of dynamism to the, um, I don't know, to the cultural explosion that was going on. And it was, um, really coming from like queer people and black and brown people. And I guess this film kind of comes in at the tail end of that, where all of that, you know, radical like rebellious creativity is lost and it's kind of being co-opted by like yuppies professionals people in advertising sticky slimy (laughs) you know grabby social climbers and um at first when i watched the film i was kind of astounded by how like i don't know whitewashed it is um and i didn't really understand how they like removed the i don't know cultural significance from the era but now that i think about the i don't know commentary on gentrification and and i hear it through your words i'm like it kind of makes sense why why it's this collection of people because it's really like a very insufferable collection of like Mm. you know burgeoning professionals um looking (laughs) to like 
you know, looks maxing and like getting dating advice. And I I guess what's most compelling about this film and the reason why we're talking about it is because Chloe Sevigny plays this really frigid, like, I don't know, coquettish, I don't even know if coquettish is giving her too much credit, but, um, she said, I think she said that like, cause she was born in Connecticut and she said like when she was auditioning for this film, she, and I think she said it was like her last, um, the last film she ever auditioned for, which is cute. Um, she said she really had to go back into her Connecticut vibes to get this role. And I don't know anything about Connecticut, but I do know that it's like, well, you have seen Stepford Wives. No. Yeah, sure, totally. And I know that it's like, <laughs> you know, waspy and kind of like suburban and it's kind of like Charlotte York type mm. vibes, you know what I mean? Um, mm. Prudish, Puritan. It's, it's Prudish, it's Puritan, yeah. And I think what's so brilliant about um, Chloe Sevigny is that like she plays these really like, I don't know, unhinged roles and then she plays these like incredibly hinged roles and yeah. she's so good yeah. at – at having that prudish i don't know it's like it's really restrained like it's just Mm -hmm. an absolute like an absolute like exercise in um restraint and she's so like milk toast um as this (laughs) as this character um but still manages like a kind of like charm because you're the i feel like at the end of it she's the only one that you're endeared to and again like in the movie kids the, the one of these like guys in advertising is the only person she's ever slept with and you know suddenly she has herpes when they said h i'm so stupid oh, i no. thought the film was about like hiv I was oh no really... so i i just honestly think the best thing about this film is the writing i think the dialogue is incredibly <laughs> like rich it's, it's funny wit like it's it's witty but it's also like extremely clunky at times because no dialogue has ever actually sounded like that and i think Um, they they like they like um they're kind of operating under the guise that like people can have conversations in clubs which is delusional which is hilarious so funny and it's also like um it's kind of like woody allen-ish in a way where the characters in the dialogue are doing all of the exposition at all times absolutely absolutely like it, it takes you out of the film when you're watching a film and you realize that the characters are like, I don't know, you just start to question, like, would anyone ever need to say this sentence to someone that they're friends with, to someone that they live with, to someone that they work with? Why would they need to, you know, do all this expo- exposition in co- in the middle of a conversation? It just doesn't really make sense. But I don't know. It's part of the charm to me. It um, really works for the charm of the film, but it is um, very specific to it. And there's this bit that I that I love, and I think of um, you know our cough cough friends of the pod who might have cough cough hosted at Mints um, <laughs> when um, when. <laughs> someone's accusing someone else of being a yuppie and he goes, oh it's always the other that's a yuppie. No one ever admits to being a yuppie. And I think a group of people has to cohere around a label and admit to actually being it for it to be a thing. And then yeah, he goes, right. you know, yuppie is young, upwardly mobile professional. He goes, I don't think club promoter is a profession. <laughs> <laughs> and he says like, you know, I wish we were yuppies. Yuppie is yeah. a good word. Young, like um, upwardly mobile, professional. I wish I was those things. <laughs> it's so it's funny. So funny. It's yeah, so funny. it's really, really funny the way that, um, I don't know, 
he kind of denounces the term. Um, mm. I I thought the funniest dynamic in the film was between Chloe and Kate Beckinsale and oh my the God, kind of like awful. mentorship. Oh my God. That- she was doing it was very like no you know what it was it was luann giving bethany advice on roni and real housewives of new york city where she's like you know if you want to if you want to flirt with a guy lean in speak extra quiet no she said speak you know lower the volume of your voice and then he has to lean in and get close to you you know touch him on his leg and she's giving her all of this advice and it's very um i don't know delusional to me like it's so hilarious. Whenever but you it's can also- throw the word sexy into the conversation, it's kind of a signal. And then she's at this guy's house. And what is it? She says something is sexy. So this is Kate Beckinsale to Chloe Sevigny. Yeah. And then when Chloe Sevigny actually gets back to this guy's house, yeah. she's looking at these <laughs> cartoons that she would have said were really corny, these Scrooge <laughs> McDuck cartoons on the Scrooge wall. McDuck. and. And then she goes, you know what? I always thought Scrooge McDuck was kind of sexy. (laughs) And then the next morning. And then he gives her herpes. Yeah, he gives her herpes. And then the next morning he's like, you know, I just kind of, I don't know. I just didn't feel like you were very real. You said Scrooge McDuck was sexy. It's very like He was like, don't you know we can see through that? (laughs) Yeah, it was very like that scene in um, Sex and the City. I don't know if you remember it. But um, Miranda is... I don't know, always playing herself down when she's dating. And then she meets this guy while she's at the gym. And she's like, how could I pick someone up when I'm looking so filthy and grotty and gross? And then she goes on a date with this guy and he says, you know, you're so, you're so beautiful. You're so smart. And she's playing coy. And then afterwards she thinks, well, maybe I should be confident. So then she's like seeing him the second time and she's really, you know, confident and, holding her head high and all these things. And then the next morning he doesn't call her back because he thinks she's full of herself. And I think that's really like the, um, it's parallel to this, um, way that Kate Beckinsale's character is like giving Chloe like bad advice, but also she's like giving her bad advice so that she can deter her from dating this guy that I think Kate Beckinsale's character wants to get with. So I think there's like some sort of like foul play going on there. Um, <laughs> it's um it's quite hilarious watching it back i'm like is this like is this blonde and brunette dichotomy like mm-hmm. is this what we're seeing because mm-hmm. kate beckinsale's the shoddiest um choppiest um brown bob in yeah. the movie um and she's so insidious and insufferable throughout yes, the whole thing absolutely, absolutely. Um, and convinces them to get this horrible railroad apartment which <laughs> um another another copywriter in their office kind of comes in for a dinner party before they go out to the club and he goes um you know this was made to be like public housing for working class families but it looks like he he like you know is criticizing them at the same time but it looks like (laughs) um recent college grads have been like recently like share housing and gentrifying the whole area which is interesting I'm like, oh, my God, we always knew this was because I guess I like never lived in like the inner city or whatever and wasn't kind of introduced to the idea of a place changing over time with Mm -hmm. the the people that were kind of moving in there and gentrifying Mm -hmm. the area. It wasn't something that became familiar to me until I kind of visited my first queer share house in the inner west. Yes, exactly. um, That's what I keep returning to in the film is these comparisons between 
um, between Sydney and the comments that they're making um, mm-hmm. in the film about New York City mm-hmm. and about these young um upper the mobile professionals yeah. right right yeah that was so interesting and just to clarify like the the railroad apartment is like literally like a it's like four rooms one of them is a kitchen and then these bedrooms and the only way to get to the bathroom and the kitchen is to go through the bedrooms like they're all connected there's no hallway um and i think it's really interesting like yeah i don't know i think if you if you aren't aware of gentrification then it's likely that like you are a gentrifying body like my parents <laughs> moved to Erskineville in the like early 90s and Erskineville was like you know the whole extended family was like you guys are going to regret moving there it's dangerous it's it's um it's not a good area it's unsafe and they were there at the peak of you know um gentrifying that that area and then just before that they had moved from Balmain which also used to be like um you know a really dingy grimy neighborhood um and it's so interesting because in Sydney I feel like um you you can see it more in in recent years but in Paris as a city um everyone's been here for so long that like an area like where I live is so post, 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 post gentrification. Like, I'm not even sure this place was gentrified. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure, um, like the, the neighborhood I live in. Does that exist in that? I don't know if gentrification (laughs) like exists in this neck of the woods, but definitely on the, like I live in the West of Paris, but in the East, Northeast, um, it's changing really quickly. And, um, it's a natural response to like, the increasing cost of living that, you know, young students and like upwardly mobile Mm pre-professional young people um, are moving to places where they can afford it and generating their own, I don't know, cafe culture, like, you know, this kind of stuff. And it, it, it happens within, you know, the blink of an eye that our neighborhood has suddenly changed. And I think what's really interesting about Paris, which is quite different to Sydney is that Sydney is really spread out. Right. And you have like kind of divided neighborhoods and you don't really need to enter that neighborhood if you don't live there. Right. But with Paris, it's all kind of on top of itself. So it's Mm. more, it's more street by street, you know, like, and you can walk down a street in Belleville and you have some of the like, most ridiculous like skincare boutiques and then on top of it you have like a and i use quotation marks like an exotic market which is like basically you know a, like a discount like um african convenience store um mm. and all of this is on top of on top of each other and i guess that's um that's pretty different to sydney because it really is like much more spread out i feel yeah. yeah yeah especially what you said about and it's because of the way and the time period that these things have developed in Sydney um in order to kind of like push families out into the suburbs which are um made and designed for you to be contained in and to raise your family there and yeah, um absolutely and that's the absolute 
design of it um, mm-hmm. by, you know, public planners and by the kind of, you know, I've said this before that the, the, the sanctity of family is, you know, in the suburbs. Right, absolutely. Um, and I think what's interesting, if we can tie it back to Chloe Sevigny, is that she's really someone who, like, continues to speak on New York's significance um, as a place and she, she speaks on gentrification at every chance she can she's someone who has lived in manhattan for the longest time ranting about you know the lower east side um and the charm of um a neighborhood where these um rent controlled apartments mean that the um per- perfectly uncool slightly deranged widows of of her neighborhood get to stay and and the spirit of that place isn't replaced by you know um gentrify cafes and all of and the like um and i think it's really really interesting that she would she would choose to do a film even at such a young age when she herself had the potential to be a gentrifying body which i'm sure she still is um i mean once once you like are in a Hollywood film you don't need to worry about um these these problems about rent control yeah you don't have to worry about these these things that's you know that's also central to to the last days of disco um and just what you were saying about the I guess the like spirit of the places you get to see it wither and die at the end of the last days of disco Mm -hmm. where um it all kind of crumbles apart because there's this undercover police investigation that uncovers the club as you know a um a cover for something else um and the only person who ends up on top is Chloe Sevigny. Because she publishes some book. But what's the book that she publishes? It's like about Buddhism or something. Yeah, yeah, it was like um it's about Buddhism but it was it was written as if it was some kind of like it was written as a memoir I think and then um uncovered to um reveal that the author was not in fact telling the truth and she chose to publish it as fiction instead but um I guess that speaks to the complete spiritual void and spiritual pollution of the last kind of like 50 years where I really believe it's like a wasteland devoid of um devoid of kind of any kind of potential even for transcendence um and I think because we there's no potential there for that for anyone no one believes in that I think that's why we have to resort to or people have to resort to moralism Mm -hmm. um I was having a conversation with a friend the other day being like um there was someone that she had met through a writing class and, you know, they kind of got on, they kind of didn't. She couldn't kind of figure out this girl. And was this girl being, um, was this girl being overly nice because she had a compulsion to be nice or was it to gain something or whatever? Mm-hmm. And then my friend just realized that she just found this girl annoying and it's as simple as that. And I was saying, yeah, we need to kind of like rationalize these things by saying someone has like a good or a bad vibe or maybe they're a bad person because they're manipulating you with um, niceties when in reality it does not and in fact should not have to be that deep. Someone doesn't have to be a bad person for you to not be friends with them. And I think that is to our detriment. I think moralizing... These kind of minutiae um, is a way to police ourselves and police other people, which never, you know, is to whose gain. It's Mm. to 
like a patriarchal gain. It's mm-hmm. to like a hegemonic gain. Mm-hmm. It's not for any of us or for community. Wow. But that's where I'm coming with from with the like Puritanism. I right. think that like I didn't realize to be that you Puritan could you could apply it other. to just vibes. Vibes. <laughs> it's just an out, it's people, just an outdated vibe. People want to police vibes. Um, Do. But vibes and are just so feelings, sad. and nothing. And you know, a cab. So. Right. I think I'm, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm about You're to in go over in. your head in Puritanism. <laughs> yeah, I mean the Puritanism rot brain is so deep that I um I can't get out of the vibes. Yeah, stop policing the vibes, babe. Should we talk about um, like speaking of policing vibes? Yeah. Um um, I, I sent this book to you. I really think you would like it. Um, it's called Sleeveless. It's by Natasha Stagg, who is another, you know, New York City writer who can only about, write about New York, right? Mm-hmm. So there's this one chapter on, um, on influences and she kind of reflects back on so-called it girls as influences and says, you know, I never thought that I would miss the term it girl mm-hmm. and kind of talks about Chloe Sevigny and situates her as a pre-influencer influencer. Then later in the book, in a chapter called Naming Names, she's talking about interviews that she's done. And um, one time she says, I interviewed Chloe Sevigny at Veselka in the East Village. She was friendly and unpretentious. And then when she learned we had friends in common, she invited me to a party and chose to ride the train with me. And when we left, even opening her mail in front of me. When the interview came out, it was reduced to a Q&A, basically a transcript of our conversation edited for length, basically all gossip, which I always loved about her. One line was picked up by tabloids. She said she, f- she said she found the media presence of a young actress annoyingly vulgar. I thought that part was great. And I, I think that's amazing because she's, again, kind of making this assertion that, like, it doesn't need to be, you know, these moral judgments are, like, imprisoning us I really believe and um it's enough to find someone annoying and crass as she called Jennifer Lawrence at the time (laughs) (laughs) oh it was about Jennifer Lawrence that's cute it was about Jennifer Lawrence and then the next time Chloe Sevigny sees Natasha Stagg at a party she says she's like walking into um she's walking into a bar on the Lower East Side and Kim Gordon's under one arm um another celebrity under another one of Chloe's arms and Natasha Stagg smiles at her and Chloe Sevigny says, you threw me under the bus and walks right into the bar. Where was the bus? I don't understand. <laughs> well, that's what she's saying is, is that um, what Natasha Stagg always found kind of like fresh and cool about Chloe Sevigny was that, um, you know, the gossip was important. Um, and right. um, I think she didn't. I think- the reality of like being an it girl is that it takes a lot of um, bridges to burn and you have to really be willing to step on a few toes. Um, You have to have. And um, be, you know, thrown under a few buses. Yeah. You have to be, you have to be ready to do some tumbling under some buses. Um, Mm. That's really, I don't know. I, I, um, I can't speak on that so much, but I, I do think it's like important to recognize that like she was, I don't know, the, t- the term was coined about her. I think, I believe it was on like the New Yorker that she's like the coolest girl in the world. And I think cool is such an unattainable, indescribable 
term and I think um, it's the je ne sais quoi, you know? Like no one is ever going to be able to tell me why. Like no one's ever going to be able to give me like a really solid simplified reason why Chloe Sevigny is fascinating and glamorous and original, but um, she has that je ne sais quoi. And I think that's what makes her cool and interesting. And it's because look, it's because she's beautiful. It's because she never says too much. She picks interesting film projects and she has, you know, quippy opinions and one liners. <laughs> and she is a Scorpio. They're famous for their mystique. That's true. I think That's it's true. really quite simple. Um, speaking about being thrown under buses. So she yes. did Brown Bunny. Yes. She copped this was a, a lot huge of bus. Flack for it because of one particular scene. Do you want to describe the scene? Sure, sure. I, I can I can do a fun little run through of the film so the film is basically like um i don't know i don't have the the cinematography language but it, i would say it's like it's almost cam in a way like it's really it's not cam i don't know it's like shot with like i don't know like a handheld like grainy camera it's really yeah so like, I, I read that it was like it was shot on like a really it was shot on like a really small film and then blown yeah. up about right. triple the size that to give sense. it like that extra grain that makes sense um, yeah and basically it's, and like, it's so many like long shots it's like almost a road movie as well, well. What, yeah kind that's of what that they call it film. because like yeah i would say you know 70 percent of the film is just close-ups of vincent gala's face and shots of the road that he's driving oh down. and also probably interesting to note that was her boyfriend at the time right she was dating him yeah she said she had like already been intimate with him before the film so i mean yeah anyway she so the film is set in, across america he's in i believe ohio or somewhere obscure <laughs> and he's like you. driving yeah. back to los angeles to go see his girlfriend played by chloe Sevigny, none other than you know our star of this pod and um <laughs> he's basically having these like casual encounters with different women all along the road um and he's he's kind of really brooding and you can tell he's he's feeling heavy you think that it's because of his you know his wandering eye that maybe he has this guilt that he's carrying with him he goes and meets her mom along the way and he's talking about her in this really like i don't know melancholy like I don't know, just miserable way. Just confused. He's confused, confused. he's disoriented. And the film basically is working towards this crescendo that is, you know, I don't know, really notorious where Chloe and him finally um, meet again in a hotel room in Los Angeles and they're having this, you know, disagreement, this argy-bargy, as my mum would call it, and it, it, it ends up in a really sad, wistful blowjob um that is unsimulated and by unsimulated i mean that it is real like it really happened it is something that you watch in close detail um (laughs) the way you're describing this is so prudish and clinical i can't take it she she goes down on him for all of us to see and it really is the like the saddest blowjob. It is a but, really um, sad blowjob. Yeah, I will. I will say. Um, yeah, you get to see Vincent Gallo's, you know, cute pink hard dick yeah, in her mouth, rubbing. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know. I wasn't. It's I really... wasn't trying to sound British. I was trying to like build um, momentum. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a cum shot. Um, and 
<laughs> basically, yeah, it's really, um, it's really how the film is like structured because it really it's like slow it's like a slow burn at the beginning and the final scene is where it all kind of comes together she you know gives him head it he does his stuff and then um he kind of has like a bit of a breakdown like a panic attack she's like consoling him on the bed She's just sucked him off and he kind yeah. of starts crying next know, to her. Which is so and pathetic. And, I know, um, she's trying to console him a little. And then she just disappears and you're like, what's yeah. going on? Um, and throughout their conversation. And they're, they're talking a lot about like memory. Um, yeah. Do you remember the last time I kissed you? Do you remember yeah. the last time you saw me? Do you remember how I would sit in your lap mm-hmm. in these really kind of wistful ways? Mm-hmm. And then it kind of builds up to this scene where he's remembering and what, what he really is crying about is he's remembering that he um, witnessed her being gang raped um, at a party Um and he did nothing about it and he just left her there and then she died and then she's no longer on the bed she's no longer in the room she's you know vanished into thin air and we discover that Mm. this whole film was about his grief his loss his um guilt and his culpability and the blowjob was like a was an imagined sad horny moment of of longing um and what i love about this is that it like it it plays with the idea of you know in film we like we're so used to simulated sex and simulated um uh i don't know coitus whatever you want to call it Um, (laughs) whatever um and uh we don't blink an eye at that, but the, but the idea of it being honest and real and actually mm. performed by the actors is really uncomfortable to us as an audience. Yeah. The, the actually seeing Chloe Sevigny blow someone is, is supposed to be demeaning as a culture. That's what we're supposed to feel when we watch that. I'm not sure that that's what they wanted us to feel, but no, the response so. is that. And, yeah. um, and what's, really fascinating is that you know in the story it was an imagined scene it didn't really happen so it's like playing with this idea of the simulation of of sex and the representation of it you know if 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 something can be imagined it can be depicted but it's like a depiction of an imagination um and i think that's really clever and challenging because it it forces you to um face your own misogyny and your own um Mm. sex negativity and i mean yeah this this film was like the response was brutal you know she took a real hit for going down on someone and it's really fascinating because the film industry is built on blowjobs you know, like, wow, wow, wow. Film, like think about how many, <laughs> yeah. how many leading actresses had to do exactly what she did in that scene yeah, to, like forced to, into to have a career, non-consensual you know? actual rape. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, that, and I guess that's what makes it so confronting is because of the, um, because of that being happening behind closed doors and yeah. I guess like a level of like guilt as about it as well. I mean, I think it's, it's like not funny in this context, but I think it's 
you know, especially provocative and especially confronting when people say that, you know, acting is kind of um, like demeaning or um, even like whorish or something like that mm-hmm. because um, because of the way you, you know, seduce a camera or portray mm-hmm. something else, portray some kind of fantasy on screen. And I think that that's, you know, based on a lot of fears about women's sexuality or sexuality right. in general, right. which is incredibly Puritan. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I thought it was really cool for her to give head on screen. I think um, so too. And to, yeah. to do so, like, unapologetically um, and so explicitly. There's this, you're going to hate me, but there's this scene in um, the <laughs> where um they're like they're beginning to talk about producing a film right Mm -hmm. with all of these lesbian characters this is in the show and um they're like interviewing directors and seeing what their kind of take on the script is like and this one director's like so what if it starts off and it's just close-ups of you can't even see what it is it's just skin it's just bodies and then you know you're kind of going from these vignettes to whatever and you know would it be interesting I was just thinking what if the actors the actresses were all they were actually having sex um and you know <laughs> the, the producer and the writer who been, like been um posed than actors actually having sex actually having sex um and then um the way that he kind of like defends it after they have these awful really offended reactions these two you know this one lesbian writer and this one lesbian producer um the way he defends it is he's like, well, you know, there would be no uh, penetration. So it's not, I mean, there'd be penetration. Mm, yeah. So it's not, I mean, but it's not consummated. So yes, it wouldn't yes. be because, yeah. I'm thinking and now, this, oh, sorry. Yeah, it's just these like backwards and paradoxical kind of reasonings that uh-huh. uh, negate but also reveal the nuance of like sexuality yeah. and presenting that on screen. Yeah, like Ramona Singer saying that she doesn't count a blowjob as sex <gasps> and basically exactly. confessing confessing to like, you know, sucking off every man in New York City, um, yeah. which is, you know, God's work. Um, uh, someone has to do someone it. Someone has to do it, and if if not me, then Ramona Singer. Um, <laughs> um, when I was watching the film, I couldn't help but think about, and I wonder if this came to mind for you. I couldn't help but think about, you know, Linda Lovelace and Deep Throat. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think the blowjob is a really highly contested sex act, mostly because um, even you know, radical. F- feminists are um kind of likely to i mean you know we we can't as a culture like deal with the grapple with the idea of a blowjob as something that someone enjoys giving like it's always Mm. something that's done to you and i think that Mm. that's why people have such a problem with blowjobs and what's so fascinating about the deep throat story is that you know it was like the first you know household name of porn you know what i mean like it was Mm. it was kind of open and like out in out in the open and um it was really i don't know it was sensational like everyone was going and going to the cinema to see her you know have her pleasure center coming from her throat rather than her between me down there's which is such a you know i don't know misogynistic idea but but for me to even like think about it in that way is um is in some ways puritan i think and then we 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 have the kind of interesting turn of events where she came out and 
talked about how it was actually, you know, the depiction of her own rape and, and then she herself, Linda Lovelace became this like anti-sex staunch, like Mm. anti-sex, um, I don't know, feminist. And, um, there's like a film adaptation and I didn't realize, but Chloe Sevigny is in the film. Oh my God. Is she? She is. And I was just researching it. Like, um, she plays like an interviewer. She was supposed, I thought she was going to play Gloria Steinem when I was reading. There was like, I read like this, like casting thing before the film happened. And they suggested that she was playing Gloria Steinem in the film. And then she ended up just being like an interviewer. But, um, I don't know. How do we, how do we put the Brown bunny beside um, the story of Linda Lovelace and the, the culture of, of um, Puritanism as it pertains to the almighty blowjob, you know, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know the Lovelace story that well, other than, um, you know, that it was like that. She said it was, you know, non-consensual that she was abused. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, what you said I don't know I haven't got too much of a conceptualization about blowjobs kind of in my mind and I was kind of making my mind up as I was watching the movie about how I felt um and how the character is depicted to feel giving this you know the world's saddest blowjob um how do you think it works in relation to brown bunny I don't know I don't know I just think because I think that we have a real problem with watching women um, give blowjobs. It like can't yeah. we can't we can't take it away. I from wish its... either of us was a woman who gives <laughs> blowjobs <laughs> so that we could comment. <laughs> We're really <laughs> ill-equipped to talk about um, women giving blowjobs, but yeah, it's um, it's a problem that we have in society that we can't take it away from its like um, demeaning. Mm. Uh, associations and as a result it can only be um repressive it can only be uh a setback Mm. to women's you know um yeah i remember in um in high school one of my friends was telling me you know laura if you ever give a blowjob like make sure you never ever do it on your knees because it was okay she was like you know open-minded enough to say look you're gonna want to you're gonna want to give a blowjob like you're going to want to go down on a man but um if you were to do it subjugate yourself by kneeling in front of him that would really be you know that would really show some misogyny right yeah and that friend was kate beckinsale um (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's interesting like another brunette out to get me the blowjob is like just a symbol of like kneeling down in front of a man and like i don't know paying worshiping his manhood and his superiority over you (laughs) and his control and his you know power um and I, I don't i don't believe that but um i think that's where, no, I where we're at and i don't think we've come very far since linda lovelace i don't think we've come very far since the brown bunny because i still think that if this film were to be released today it would have it would send you know shockwaves through but you know what's really laura is when i was like scrolling through twitter and i saw that thing that i sent you about um chloe Sevigny dressed as terry richardson i mean oh my God. if we want to talk so about funny. like blowjobs sex scandal blowjobs like male artists in quotation marks wanting to represent their Person own abusers. huge yeah. schlongs and have yeah. hot women 
paying worship to them. Relating them. Because I don't know, like part of me thinks that, you know, the brown bunny is genius, but the other part of me is like, this is, this film was basically made so that Vincent Gallo could show him, show off his dick. You know well, what I mean? Yeah. Vincent Gallo is like famous for being a wanker and, yeah. you know, making these long films. And, um, I mean, it's like well-documented and kind of notorious, but Roger, um, Ebert, made an absolutely scathing review yeah. of this film when he saw it in Cannes and uh, in Cannes and apparently a bunch of people um left the cinema uh-huh. other people only stayed in the cinema to boo it um <laughs> and um Vincent Gallo called him a quote-unquote fat pig and Roger says and for that matter since I made that statement I have lost 86 pounds and Gallo is indeed still the director of the brown bunny that is so funny (laughs) that is so funny and you know what even in 2021 Vincent Gallo is still the director of the brown bunny it's true it's true it's so funny yeah i don't know i think it's a really important film um i don't have anything to say about vincent gallo i don't care about yeah, him no neither it really like it's the only impact that is made is um chloe seven years blowjob and yeah i think we yeah. have to pay respect to that yeah i'm really grateful that she did that i am too i think she really paved the way for blowjobs everywhere um mm. and the way that she spoke about it was really interesting. like she she felt as though the film was really sad and beautiful and honest and she was in a relationship with this man. So for her, it was like, I don't know, really maybe like true intimacy that we were like watching on screen, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I had wondered like what it would feel like acting that, um, you know, on camera. I'm assuming there's like a crew behind the camera as well. I don't think that it necessarily that we can or should read it as a depiction of true intimacy between people who assumedly have given each other head before. Yeah. But um, I think the way that she spoke about it and was so unapologetic for yeah. it is, yeah. you know, like we were talking about how it's, I guess, assumed that a woman can't or someone giving a blowjob can't, you know, have pleasure or be empowered or mm-hmm. liberated mm-hmm. by that. Um they don't have to feel that way, but um, the fact that they could, that Chloe Seven, you can, that she can even just do it, and it for it be in mo- a movie, like right, right. That's the radical act then, that's actually. I think that being is performed. like actually radical and cool, right? Yeah. And I and I think that you know if we could if we could s- sort of tie it all together, we look at like you name any of her roles, and they speak to this same kind of conversation we talked about kids where she is you know dealing with the the ideas of contracting a deadly virus and um and being kind of and sort of novice on the on the scene of sex and <laughs> and getting really bad luck and then you know in gummo being like groomed and in american horror story being a nymphomaniac that gets her legs and arms cut off and oh being, big love being like a sister wife that ends up you know going to bed with her other sister wives and in lizzie which she directed right. and starred in alongside um kirsten stewart as you know um Edwardian lesbians. Right, right. And like all of these, all of these kind of roles and also hit and miss where she plays a transgender killer. (laughs) I don't know. I've never seen it. Boys don't cry when she plays the the girlfriend of Brandon Tina. Right. Um, In 
if these walls could talk part two. Should we where go she on? plays. <laughs> Need I say more? Also today, um, the 1st of December, I learned today, is um, World um, AIDS Day, HIV and AIDS oh, Day. Timely. So happy AIDS Awareness Day. Yeah. Um, stay safe, everyone. Yeah. All the listeners of the pod, I hope you're using protection or yeah. some kind of, you know, prophylaxis. Absolutely. Yeah. It does not have to be a death sentence. I learned that Australia um, over the last year had the um, smallest rate of HIV transition in its history in Australia. How that's wonderful pretty, is that? That's pretty great news. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think um, I think Chloe Sevigny would be glad to hear that. Me too. And I think in some small way she contributed to that um the collection mm. of um, danger- dangerously promiscuous Sydney ciders who enjoy her films have been, um, you know, taking notes. Positively influenced yes. to stay negative. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, I also want to say that um, we are recording on Wednesday, which, as we know from the last days of Disco, is Gay Day. Wednesday was gay day for me. Wednesday was gay day for me. (laughs) And um, we're going to be posting next Wednesday, which is today, if you're listening on Wednesday. Wednesday. And if you're not listening on Wednesday, it was yesterday or tomorrow. And if you're listening on the following Wednesday, then today is Wednesday and it's also gay day. Um, So. Happy gay day. Go to birdcage. Get your dick sucked. Yes. And film it. Go. Oh, my God. Like T.S. Patterson says, go suck a dick. Go suck a dick. <laughs> uh, um, is this is this shit recording? Um, yeah. What, what, what else is there left to say? Like, um, thank you, Chloe Sevigny, for uh, making for my life, making these films. And, um, you know. We're looking forward to watching whatever you do next. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder how many degrees of separation you are from Chloe Sevigny. That's true. Should we play a separation game? Um, We'll do that in the pillow talk off the pod. Let's do it with a loving kiss. Yeah, let's do it with a loving kiss. Um, Ciao. Ciao. So that I may see the face of God and all people and all experiences. so that in your fragrant path I may imitate your venerable little way.